Jim Shoemaker is a registered representative and investment advisor representative of Securian Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, research, investment advice, or a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax and or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. The views and opinions expressed are those of Rusty Leonard only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services Incorporated or Shoemaker Financial. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Jeremy Jones. We're going to be talking with Rusty Leonard in just a moment. In fact, we have him on the phone. And Rusty, welcome to the program, sir. Well, thank you. Glad to be back with you. Uh, very good, sir. You're always a great guest. And we apologize. We know it's been a while since we've had Rusty on, Jeremy. Yeah, it's and, uh, it's always good to catch him. You know, it's been an interesting uh, year so far and the economy up and down and a lot of a lot of news and uh it's always great to have rusty on the show and rusty what i've got is a 75 year average growth rate that's from 1940 to 2014 of the u.s economy the gdp annual growth rate is 3.6 percent per year the actual growth rate of the u.s economy has reached a 3.6 percent or greater in only one of the last 14 calendar years from the Commerce Department. What's your thoughts? Sure. Well, I think part of that is just a, a function of the, the enormous size of the U.S. economy, and there are some limits to uh, how fast a, you know, a beast the size of the U.S. economy that has taken basically a, a huge share of the overall global economy. You're going to run into some natural limits. The other part is just bad policy choices uh, by our, our leaders who have led us down different directions that have caused the economy not to... Uh, not to really do as well as we would have thought. And that goes, you know, through different um, administrations of, of different parties, too. So and I think Congress and, and the, the president, no matter whether it's been Obama or Bush or Clinton, all those uh, guys have contributed to, uh, you know, make decisions that really hurt us. Yeah, that's that's what we're thinking, too. And that's kind of created the problem that seems to be almost a, 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 some anemic, you know, that we're thinking here. But China's also got some economic growth. So they, you know, they got a decline that uh, to an annualized rate, they're actually their economic growth has dropped to 7%. Is that because they're still so much smaller than we are that it uh, it's still that 7% number in that it is declining? And you're, I want your thoughts about it, the decline and the fact that it is still so much higher than our number. Yeah, so it has declined from double digits. Uh, you know, they were growing their economy at 11% or so at one point in time not that long ago. Right. A lot of that was due, due to their ability to have the government go in there and boost the economy uh, because it's still a communist nation. It's a capitalist economy, but a communist nation, so the government can kind of inject funds into the economy and get it going when and if it wants, and it did that on a massive scale. But frankly, that 7% number is generally viewed to be a false number, and that the real number is, is much lower than that. For instance, electric usage... Uh, electricity usage in China, it's actually been negative lately, year over year, indicating you would think that that would be something that would be tied pretty closely to overall economic growth, and it's uh, it's a negative territory. So uh, there's always been a belief that the data that the Chinese are putting out about their economy is uh, somewhat suspect. So I really don't believe that it's growing at 7%. I think it's probably barely growing at all. Well, that's great. That's good. I think that's good information for us, because I think a lot of the media has a tendency to focus on that number, and not on the reality and the and the way things are going. So that's that's a great way to put it. But I guess let me kind of pause and I think and and 
just kind of reset for a second and help everybody get through this. We're talking with Rusty Leonard, and uh, of course, Rusty is the president of Stewardship Partners and a good friend and a very well-known from uh, just a, a guy who understands what's going on in the market and understands with the economy. So, Rusty, what I'm looking for, uh, what do you see as the major themes right now that's impacting the financial markets that we've seen for the first half of uh, 2015, first, you know, the first quarter? Yeah, it's always there's quite a few, right? There's never a shortage of things that impact the market. Market uh, kind of looks looks at everything, and uh, but the major ones, the ones that stick out the most, clearly the uh, investors have been maybe uh, unusually or stupidly focused on the Fed rate hike expectations. In other words, when's the Fed going to raise interest rates? And uh, the earliest point that that's going to happen is, is June, but many believe it won't happen until next year because, and one of the reasons it won't, many believe it won't happen until next year is because of one of the other major themes uh, of the year so far, and that's that in the U.S., economic data has come in well below expectations almost all the time. So almost every day, you know, we get new data points. And through the first quarter, it was probably a good 85 or 90 percent of the data points that were released, you know, whether it be retail sales or factory orders or whatever it may be, uh, they came in less than what people were expecting. So the economy, uh, which many anticipated, was kind of on a self-sustaining growth path without the help need for the help of quantitative easing from the Fed is indicating that maybe that's not fully true yet or it's going to take a little bit longer for it to uh, work out. So the economy has been weak. And as a result of that, uh, earnings have been been, uh, falling. So corporate earnings expectations have gone into a negative territory themselves in the U.S. and are expected to be in negative territory over the next three quarters. So even though we might not have an economic recession, we may just have slow growth, we're having a um, what is known as a profits recession. So Hmm. Uh, at, the, at the moment, it looks like profits are going to, to be falling in the first quarter, the second quarter, and maybe even the third quarter of 2015. Um, so those are those are all big big parts of what's affecting uh, investors. Offsetting some of that negative information, though, is the fact that even though we're not doing quantitative easing uh, here in the U.S., the Japanese and the Europeans are doing it, and they're doing it in spades. They're just pumping the money out like there's no tomorrow. Far larger programs relative to the size of their economies than what we did. That's done all kinds of crazy things around the world, but one of the things it's done is it's helped push up uh, our share prices here in the U.S. Yeah, that's um, that's doing that. You know, that's that's exactly right. And I guess what I'm thinking too, you know, if you look at the data, and I know we have to be careful to talking about a lot of data because data is how you get it. But this is from some research that we picked up from what's called BTN, and uh, the, you know, they talk about that the S and P 500. And again, people have to understand this is, of course, an indices. It's you know largest stocks, you know, from it's part of a, uh, the market that you measure and the S&P 500. Most everybody understands the S&P 500. But again, it, it's, a, it's an indices. It's not, a, it's not uh, like an investment or anything like that. You can't invest in the S&P 500. But it's up for nine straight quarters ending this, this, this recent quarter. It was the ninth consecutive quarter that it's been a positive return, at least 1%. And and yet uh, there's this mindset, as you just kind of mentioned it. This uh, a lot of people talk about the collapse of the U.S. economy. That the U.S. dollar is, even though it's strong, that this you know why is there a, is this collapse something that you're seeing? I mean, I know you're talking about Europe and, and all the things going on in Japan and China and and the things they're doing, but is this collapse, this doomsayer mentality, something that? The media seems to push, and uh, I'm wondering, yeah. Rusty, uh, what do you think? I mean, your thoughts. If it if it if it bleeds, it leads, right? So <laughs> exactly, uh, yeah. So the you know that's the old old uh, dodge of the newsroom. 
So, you know, people apparently, it's just something in our DNA that we, uh, we respond emotionally at a greater level to uh, bad news than to good news. And so we hear a lot of bad news, and people focus on bad, bad news, and certain individuals have companies that, in, the, in our business that are focused 100% on producing bad news <laughs> to get people, and that's people will buy their so, product because they want to hear bad news. Yeah. And so it's kind of a strange thing, and it's just human nature. We at Search of Partners tend to take the optimistic view, but, you know, we want to be realistic at the same time. And so the U.S. economy is not falling apart, and we've been a long time been saying that, and it's actually holding together very nicely, but it's not – performing, as you noted earlier, at historical rates of growth. So it's kind of underperforming, underperforming its history or its ability. Uh, it's, maybe you could say the U.S. economy is acting a little lazy, but it's not falling apart. So I don't think people need to get too worried about, worried about that at the moment. Although I've always stated that at any moment, uh, you know, things can, somebody can pull a, a rug out from under this economy without too much difficulty. And there are certainly many geopolitical things going on right now that could, you know, that aren't really, they haven't blown up into something sizable yet, but they could, you know, in the blink of an eye. I want to talk to you a little bit about Europe, too, later on. But I know, Jeremy, you were thinking, we're, we're extremely interested with the Fed. Absolutely. Well, as is everybody, you know, all investors pay attention uh, to the Fed and how powerful the Fed is. It's amazing every, every move that they make. So speaking of moves, uh, what are your thoughts on when might be their next move and when, when will they make it? Well, because the economy has been weak uh, and corporate earnings have been weaker, I'm thinking that they're pushing that, that move off. Now, there, there are two lines of thought on that. Uh, there are some people who are more on the conservative end of the Fed spectrum, and they, they say, listen, the economy is strong enough. We are at this very unusual state, and we've been here for an awful long time of no interest, you know, zero interest rates. That's not a natural thing. It's leading to all kinds of distortions in the financial markets and just markets generally, and that's all very true. And so they say we ought to raise rates as soon as we can, kind of get things back closer to normal. And then there's the other folks who say, listen, we, had, we, took, we just dodged a depression. We had a great recession. Because of our smart policy and lowering interest rates and doing quantitative easing and all that kind of stuff, we managed to avoid the globe going into a, a, another depression. And, then, and one of the mistakes they made in the 30s was to kind of normalize things too soon. So we want to normalize rates very, very slowly so that we keep uh, the economy from falling back into another recession and maybe you know, into a depression. So those are the two major arguments out there. And I think the, the latter one's going to win out in the meantime. And so there'll be slower to raise rates may not even be until 2016 because of the uh, you know, the dodginess of the U.S. economy uh, so far this year. They may may delay things until uh, 2016. But there are there's a cost of that, and that's all these distortions that are popping up around the uh, the globe, and especially in the financial markets. Yeah, you know we hear that a lot. I mean, it's amazing that you you articulated it extremely well. A lot of people, it seems that that I could find I could if I was mounting a party, I could probably find a lot of people that would say it's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, that I could also find a party that said, no, it's going to be 18 months from now. So, I mean, it, yep. uh, I really, obviously, nobody really, truly knows, and I'm not sure the Fed, uh, you know. No, they don't know either. No, um, exactly. But uh, if you just tuned in, of course, I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money on KWAM. Our guest, Rusty Leonard, the President and CEO of Strategic Partners, and a frequent guest of ours, my guest host, Jeremy Jones. And uh, we're talking about the economy and how it plays into maybe making decisions uh, and thinking through what your investment portfolio should look like or how you should be thinking about uh, what you're investing in, how you're planning, and that's important. And, and, and Rusty, I want to talk about Europe. This experiment called 
called the Eurozone, uh, you know, roughly a little over 15 years now, I guess. And, and you know, for the first half, if you take it from, uh, say, 1999 to 2007, uh, there was this uh, flamboyant mindset that everything in Europe was great because they were so cooperative and everybody was great. And you saw the you saw that movement and, and basically stocks and uh, it did well in Europe. Then you kind of have this little bit of a glitch called 2008 and the Great Recession, and they have just uh, been in a quagmire, you might say, and now they're trying to do this idea of quantitative easing, something they've waited a long time. But do you think that this is, I mean, what's this whole idea? I mean, the idea, I got this question. The idea behind the fact that if you buy a bond in Europe, you got to lend the government money in order to pay for the privilege of buying the bond. And, and that don't make sense to me. So give me the ideas of what you think about the Eurozone. What do you think about Europe? I mean, the experiment going to work? That's my thought. So I, mean, I, I keep questioning if Greece decides to pull out, if it goes out on a good basis and everybody says applauds it and says it's great, that's still a disaster. But if they get kicked out, it's definitely a disaster. What's your thoughts? I think Greece is uh, heavily leaning towards the good riddance exit. Absolutely. Know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> please, please leave, will you? You know, you're just causing us too much trouble. So uh, I do believe that if Greece leaves right now, that will be a little disruptive. In fact, today's markets are reflecting a little bit of disruption over the you know, rising reality that Greece will be exiting uh, the euro at some point, if sooner perhaps, if not later, they're certainly going to, you know, not meet their their obligations and you know, essentially be bankrupt. I do believe at this stage of the game, though, that the consequences of that are probably not going to be anywhere near as serious as they would have been three or four years ago. And so, by buying time, the euro has uh, essentially bought its uh, continued existence, you know, by by pushing the Greece problem off. Remember, we used to always talk about kicking the can down the road. Well, right. they did that. They did that, and it worked. They, by kicking the can down the road, if Greece does withdraw from the euro right now, it's, it's not a good thing, and it's going to have some ramifications, but it's not a uh, something that would kick off a financial crisis in the European banking system as it would have several years back. The banks have had time to reorganize themselves. And so that's one thing that will keep the, uh, the euro in business. And, in fact, if you look around the world right now, as I mentioned earlier, the U.S. is just kind of – you know, coming up short on the economic front, China, you know, is, is publishing seven percent growth, but we think it's probably something closer to break even. If that, uh, Japan is struggling to grow, and the emerging markets are are getting kind of bombed out with Brazil and Russia and China all suffering. Uh, Europe is about the only place in the world where you're showing signs of improvement on the economy, and that's partly because of their quantitative easing program, sure. but also because of lower lower oil prices are helping them a great deal as well. So, so for the moment. Other than the fact that you have this Greece problem in the background, and there's also that kind of worrisome Ukraine thing happening, uh, you know, Europe's probably looking the best on the margin. Now, that's on the margin, uh, and generally speaking, uh, you know, you could have big problems in in Europe at any time uh, with the whole Euro thing. It could come crumbling down, you know, without too much difficulty. It's a kind of a false, you know, forced false agglomeration of countries that really don't agree with each other on a lot of things, and there's still tremendous problems in southern Europe that uh, you know could easily blow up in our face, not just in Greece, but Italy and Spain in particular could be problems as we go along. So we've got to keep an eye on those things. If you just tuned in, I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Jeremy Jones. We're talking with Rusty Leonard, President and CEO of Stewardship Partners. So, Rusty, we, we, you've been giving us a lot of great information, a lot of good talks about the global economy, but... Uh, 
big question mark to everyone um, is about oil. And we, we gave some statistics this morning about oil production and U.S. production. And it seems like the U.S., we're getting closer to running out of storage space. And, you know, that can't be good for prices. So we're coming up on summer and summer vacation. So how do you see uh, with storage space and oil production affecting us going forward? Well, of course, the oil market is one of the most difficult ones to predict. And particularly now, given the potential for warfare that's already going on in the Middle East, but for for that warfare to kind of uh, spill over into oil production areas that are Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, place in Iraq. But there are many, many factors impacting this. Uh, of course, the global slowdown in uh, China and the U.S. and the emerging markets is hurting demand. Uh, so that's coming up a little short of what they're expecting. But the lower oil price is also stimulating demand. So in the U.S., we now see that refinery rates have gone back up to about 92% when they had been in the 80s because people are driving more because of lower prices. So there's all these different factors that are swinging in and out, but the main thing that uh, I think the reason why oil prices have started to rise uh, in just the last little bit has been because of what's going on in the Middle East right now and the potential for uh, there to be something that would blow up on a major scale that would impact oil uh, production or distribution. If somehow one of the the passageways, the waterways got blocked off, uh, it could cut off just massive supplies of oil and cause a real spike. So those things are... Um, growing, those risks are growing every day. But at the same time, if they never materialize, if somehow, as we have in the past, been able to weave our way through that complicated political mess that is the Middle East without ever having oil supplies impacted, the fact of the matter is we have just massive uh, stocks of oil, uh, way above normal. And as you said, we're almost running out of uh, the capacity to put any, you know, there's no place to put the oil. So the production will have to slow down in the U.S. because there's just not going to be anywhere to, to pump the oil into to hold it for a later sale. And when you have that much inventory laying around, uh, prices are going to be you know, pressured downward because the people who hold that inventory want to get, want to get rid of it. So there's, as always, it's just one of the most complex marketplaces out there with many different things affecting it, and those things can change very quickly, uh, particularly on the geopolitical front. So it's, um, there's a, what we have is what we call a proxy war right now between Saudi Arabia and Iran. They live right across the street from each other, and the waterway that's in between them is the one that you know, 20 or 30% of the world's oil flows yeah. through there every day. If that suddenly gets closed... You know, oil prices are going to skyrocket. So that proxy war they're fighting in Yemen and Syria and other places where they're funding other groups. But if it ever turns into something that they're fighting each other, look out. That's going to be a problem on oil prices. And that would be a big problem for the global economy as well. Well, that's that's a big issue. You know, I, I want to do this real quick, if you could, because I think you were looking at global oil and we're looking at the, the reality of it. But I want everybody to understand the eurozone. So you've got uh, less than about a minute and a half to give us the, right. the the lecture on the eurozone. I really think people <laughs> need to hear that. Sorry for the timing, but that's just where we are. Let's see if we can't put that together about, you know, what is the eurozone? Eurozone is just uh, it's kind of like the United States of Europe. And uh, they've all agreed to come together and kind of operate off off of a single currency. And they've tried to come together to operate on similar economic plans. But even though it's like the United States of Europe, it's different. Uh, they have very well, we have different cultures across the United States, I guess too. But they have very different cultures. They have uh, more the states in the United States of Europe 
uh, have more power than the states do here in the, in the U.S., especially when it comes to their own economy. And so the southern Euro- European nations uh, can go off and spend too much money, as they have been wont to do over the years, and get cause trouble. Now, when the Eurozone first came into being, it was a great boon to Italy and Spain and Greece and these countries that like to spend more money than they had because they could borrow money at much lower interest rates. They were effectively borrowing at German interest rates because Germany is the core of the Eurozone. And so they were all of a sudden able to borrow cheap money when before that wouldn't have been possible because the Euro had the implicit backing of, of Germany. Well, now we've, you know, after many years have passed and a lot of stupid decisions have been made to borrow too much money, they, they've got some, some real problems on their hands. And so that may end up causing this fragile agglomeration of countries to, uh, to break up. So that's, uh, that's the risk that's always there. Mexico just released a 100-year European bond issued in euros, and everybody scratched their head and said the euro may not even be here 10 years from now, let alone 100 years from now. Yeah. So what's the story with that bond? Well, you know, again, I, that's the, that's what I that's the information that I think you do such an extremely good job of of expressing it and helping our listeners be educated on really what's going on with the eurozone and why it's a problem. And yet, you know, if you go back to two thousand seven, the media was saying it was going to replace the the U.S. dollars, the world currency. So, I just okay. like the fact that we put it in easy to understand terms, Rusty, and you do such a good job with that, sir. I want to say thank you for your ability to do that and your willingness to be a guest on our program. Uh, you're always a welcome guest and always a breath of fresh air with a lot of information, and we thank you, sir. You're welcome. Always a pleasure to be with you. You have a great day. Make it a great day, okay? All right. All too. right. Thank you, Rusty. Views and opinions expressed are those of Rusty Leonard only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services Incorporated or Shoemaker Financial. 